Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. On today's episode, we'll round out our discussion of marriage. We'll briefly touch on sacramentals and funerals, and then that brings us to the end of part two. So we've covered part one, the creed, what the church believes, part two, the sacraments, how the church lives out its beliefs, and then we have left part three, which is the Ten Commandments, or uh, morality, and then part four, uh, prayer, where the catechism specifically goes through the Lord's Prayer, their Father. So to round out our discussion of marriage, I want to point to this beautiful line from paragraph 1657, which talks about the first the family as the domestic church or the the little local church. Um, and it says that the home is the first school of Christian life, a school for human enrichment. So let's look at that full full quote there, paragraph 1657. <clears throat> It is here that the father of the family, the mother, children, and all members of the family exercise the priesthood of the baptized in a privileged way, by reception of the sacraments, prayer, and thanksgiving, the witness of a holy life, and self-denial and active charity. Thus, the home is the first school of Christian life, and a school for human enrichment. Here one learns endurance and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous, even repeated forgiveness, and above all, divine worship and prayer and the offering of one's life. How beautiful. Here one learns endurance and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous, even repeated forgiveness, and above all, divine worship and prayer, and the offering of one's life. I love this anecdote from G.K. Chesterton who said or surmised, you know, wouldn't it be really interesting if we took a handful of individuals from society who were very different in temperament, um, and likes and dislikes, abilities, strengths, weaknesses, and then we put them together in one house, had them live together for a set amount of time, and then just observed, you know, how they interacted and how that affected each of them, how it affected their their growth and development. And, you know, so he goes on about this and then says, you know, this in a nutshell is the family. You know, how incredible that uh, God, God, you know, puts this this collection of people together. Um, so many, you know, it's it's not always the case. We we might come from from families uh, that have been formed through adoption or or um, you know blended uh, to two different families coming together, stepchildren. Um, but how wild that even when we share the same genes and. Um, you know, for the most part, the same upbringing. Uh, we're so different. I look at my family of origin. I'm the oldest of four children. And, um, you know, we're very, very different. And I look at my own children. And uh, it's really just really cool to see how um, God God puts together in this little social experiment. You know, that's not what God does, actually. But puts together um, this group of, of very different individuals and then calls them to, calls each of us to love each other, serve each other, and, and grow, God willing you know, grow together. I, I said to my sister, Christy, who, as I've mentioned before, she's a, a CPA. She works for this big, you know, tax firm. Uh, at the time, she and I were sharing an apartment. I was working at a Catholic Catholic high school. And so our, our, our work days were very different. And, um, you know, we have, we have different skill sets. But, you know, love each other and are so grateful to be sisters and friends. And uh, so I turned to her one day recently and I said, I said, man, Chris, thank God we're 
we're sisters. Uh, you know, if we weren't, I don't know that that we would have end up being friends. We would have ended up being friends without skipping a beat. She goes, I know, right? And I was like, ooh, that that response was a little too quick. You wouldn't be my friend. If we weren't sisters, you would not be my friend. So um so how how wonderful that that God puts together you know all these different people in in families and as we know from firsthand experience um, that uh, you know it's not always easy it's really it can be really challenging and um, what what a blessing that is because were we not uh, placed in the presence of of others who are different from us we might you know just go on thinking that that we're the best and we're always right and you know thank god we have we have other people in our lives to remind us that that we're not that maybe maybe there's a little room for growth and a little opportunity for for being perfected i think of another anecdote of two friends of mine from nicaragua maria leonor and elias a couple who's been married for I don't know how long, but decades. And they were just just really wonderful individuals and a great couple. And Maria Leonora told this anecdote one time to illustrate how different she and her husband were. She said, yeah, we were on this road trip one time. We stopped at a gas station while Elias was filling up the car with gas. I said, you know, I'm going to run in and, and get us some drinks. What do you want? And he said, ah, get get whatever you think I would like. So she, she said she walked into the gas station convenience store. She looked through the the beverage case and thought, okay, which one of these drinks looks the most disgusting to me? Like which one would I never drink? So she picked out some like Gatorade-esque drink that was like bright blue and you know, whatever. Brings it out to her husband, Elias. He goes, babe, how did you know this is my favorite one? (laughs) So just so beautiful how in marriage and you know, if, if children come along, family life. Uh, again, God puts together um, just a wonderful mix of personalities to love each other, be loved by each other, and to challenge each other to, to grow, to come out of ourselves and not be, be so focused on ourselves, um, but to think of others. And, and also, I think, too, one of the joys of, of family life is certain things we, th- we might think about ourselves, our, our greatest attribute or things in areas in which we're strong, uh, a family member might, might say like, you know, actually like, I love this about you. Um, you know, I think this is, is a real strength of yours. So the way that we're challenged is not always, um, you know, in a negative way, but those around us who love us might call, call out of us the, these beautiful things we didn't even know we had within us. So the catechism says this is the first school, family life, for the domestic church is the first school of Christian life and a school for human enrichment. I love that line, too, about how in family life we can experience generous, even repeated forgiveness. Uh, so we, we have, just in virtue of the opportunity to interact with each other day by day, we mess up, those around us mess up, and uh, you know, we need to forgive and, and be forgiven. And so as we're repeatedly, God willing, generously forgiven, you know, we come to realize we're sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior, Jesus Christ, has given us these friends for the journey of salvation, and, and what a gift. So as we've prayed for, for our priests when we covered holy orders, 
marriages as we covered marriage. Uh, let's pray too for families, which, you know, there's so many things working against us uh, in our modern culture, working against families. And so we'll, we'll end the first half of the episode praying for praying for families. All right, quick word about sacramentals. Paragraph 1667 says this, Holy Mother Church has moreover instituted sacramentals. These are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the sacraments. They signify effects particularly of a particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the church. By them, men are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments, and various occasions in life are rendered holy. So sacramentals are anything from holy water to crucifixes to miraculous medals, things that are um, not on the same level as the seven sacraments instituted by Christ, which transmit grace, invisible grace through visible signs. But they are things that we can see visibly around us or actions we can do that um, point our hearts and minds to the sacraments, which then bring us that grace. So for example, holy water. When we walk in to and out of church and bless ourselves with holy water, um, <clears throat> we, we don't receive grace as we bless ourselves like we did at baptism, but it disposes us in blessing ourselves with holy water, this water that has been made holy through a blessing, um, and we bap- uh, baptize. We bless ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as we go into church and then as we walk out of church. We're disposed to receive or we're more open to, more ready to receive the chief effects of the sacrament of baptism. So as we bless ourselves with holy water, we can recall, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, the cleansing of our sin at baptism. We can, again, consciously or subconsciously, turn to that life of the Trinity within our soul, as we're saying, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we're entering a building and then exiting a building, it's like we're, we're bookending it with um, the members of the Trinity. We're, we're beginning that event, whether we're going into church for mass or confession or simply to pray. We're beginning it with the sign of the cross and thereby inviting God into our, our hearts, minds, bodies, souls, spirits, and lives. And then we're, we're ending that time by sealing it with, again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, the, the catechism talks about uh, piety and popular devotions, things like venerating relics, visiting holy places, going on pilgrimage, uh, praying through the stations of the cross, praying the rosary, again, wearing a miraculous medal or maybe a St. Christopher medal, a medal of your patron saint or your, your confirmation saint. Each of these things in, for example, wearing a miraculous medal, we're, we're not receiving grace as we wear it as though we were participating in a sacrament. But it reminds us, let's say, um, so I wear a miraculous medal. I love, love the Blessed Mother. <clears throat> I actually wear a rosary necklace that has a miraculous medal and uh, a small cross that doesn't have a crucifix on the end. Um, that reminds me of, you know, my love of the Blessed Mother, who is the mother of God. You know, it turns my heart, my mind, my thoughts to God and to what he has done for me. You know, opens up that conversation throughout the day because as human beings, we are souls and bodies. And so we see, we smell, we taste, we touch, you know, we hear. And those things influence our thoughts and our actions. So I think of um, this, you know, is a little random, but I think of the, this movie that I saw probably over a decade ago which was, it was very popular. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to encourage people to watch it. But it had some really horrific 
things happen in it and things that were said. I watched maybe like 15 minutes and then I was like, I cannot watch any more of this because this is already like sticking with me. It's going to be hard to get, you know, some of the the things said and done from this movie out of my head. And um, so I'm not going to watch the rest. And here I am 10 years later, I still periodically just little thoughts will pop up, um, you know, something that was said or done in that movie. And I'm just like, Ugh. Uh, you know, Jesus, please remove it from my mind and, and my life so that I don't think on it anymore. And so as a human being with eyes and seeing, the ability to see, uh, that movie, that 15 minutes of a movie, has really, really had an made an impression, marked my life in a negative way. And so, um, you know, God in his wisdom through the church has given us these, these beautiful physical things that we can see and taste and touch and smell and feel um, to fix our our minds and hearts god willing repeatedly throughout the day on the things of god to to draw us to god and to connect us back to the sacraments that we have received to open us up to uh, that grace that we received and can continue to receive through the sacraments um, we, we're reminded of that and and drawn back to that through the sacramentals through these these signs and symbols and actions uh, we have all around us and can have all around us throughout the day. And when it comes to these sacramentals, uh, the catechism notes that the, the reason they're efficacious, the, the reason why they connect us to the sacraments and our opportunities for receiving grace or connecting back to the sacraments which give us grace, it, it's not because they're like little talisman, like my miraculous medal or rosary necklace is not like a little you know, magic, magic charm or, or good luck charm. Um, you know, crucifixes are not like talismans that we, we hang on our walls. But the, the grace that comes to us through the sacraments and that, you know, comes maybe in a, a smaller way through the sacramentals, it, it's this abundance of grace that's rooted in the Paschal Mystery, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that then comes to us through the channels of the sacraments and, and often sacramentals. So paragraph 1670 says, Sacramentals do not confer the grace of the Holy Spirit in the way that the sacraments do, but by the church's prayer, they prepare us to receive grace and dispose us to cooperate with it. For well-disposed members of the faithful, the liturgy of the sacraments and sacramentals sanctifies almost every event of their lives with the divine grace which flows from the paschal mystery of the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. From this source, all sacraments and sacramentals draw their power. So it's, it's Jesus's suffering, death, resurrection that basically merits this abundant infinite amount of grace and then that grace comes to us through the sacraments and then you know even downstream of that little sacramentals so thank you jesus for that lastly part two ends with a quick word about funerals and it's so beautifully and concisely says this the catechism it says all the sacraments and principally those of christian initiation have as their goal the last passover of the child of god which through death leads him into the life of the kingdom we skip down a little bit the christian meaning of death is revealed in the light of the paschal mystery of the death and resurrection of christ in whom resides our only hope and then uh, paragraph 1682 for the christian the day of death inaugurates at the end of his sacramental life the fulfillment of his new birth begun at baptism. And then it continues on. <clears throat> so in other words, 
all the sacraments, the grace God gives us through the sacraments, uh, oftentimes through sacramentals, lead to or uh, leads us to this final moment where we die, we stand before the Lord, and God willing, we pass over into eternal life with him. And so uh, skipping down a little bit, paragraph 1688 talks about how uh, Christian funerals are unique in that there may be a time for for eulogy, remembering the deceased, um, but really it's a celebration of the life, God willing, well lived. And if not, you know, we pray for the repose of the soul, the purification of the soul after death, so that he or she may be united forever with the Lord, the source of of life and love and truth and beauty and goodness. Because even though it doesn't always feel like it, this this life, these 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years um, are, are a blip across the screen of eternity. And we pray at the funeral of, of loved ones, of, of those maybe we didn't even know that well, but we attend their funerals. We pray that, that God brings them uh, into eternal life with him. So paragraph 1688 says, the homily in particular must avoid the literary genre of funeral eulogy and illumine the mystery of Christian death in the light of the risen Christ. So while funerals are are obviously a very sad time, um, you know, we grieve for the loss of of these beautiful lives we knew. We grieve for ourselves who are now missing, missing these people. Um, really, it's it's an opportunity to pray for that person and to pray that that all the grace he or she received up until that moment of death um, ushered him or her into eternal life with Christ. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this a couple episodes ago when I when I was talking about my mom, but my mom, my mom, God bless her, lived just this incredibly beautiful, beautiful life. And her funeral was really, really a celebration of that, of, of a life well lived. And so afterwards, I'm, I was greeting, you know, family and friends and a, a lot of strangers. I didn't know whom, whose lives my mom had touched. And my sister-in-law pulled me aside at one point. She goes, Becca, do you realize why we're here today? Like, why are you happy? Why are you smiling? And part of it is, you know, you're just pushing through, like, just such a sad moment. But also, it really... It really was incredible. It, it was the celebration of a life really well lived, and um, just seeing all these lives that my my mom's life had touched um, was just really beautiful. And and I hope that um, you know my life ends the same. Well, it doesn't end the same, but you know ends in the way that hers did. In that uh, it's a celebration of God willing, uh, a response to the sacramental life that the the graces of the sacraments that that God bestowed upon me, and. Um, Hopefully that that grace then passes through my life and into the lives of others. So let's end by praying for these these three groups we we kind of touched on in this this episode at the end of part two of the catechism. We pray, Lord, for again all married couples, all families, all domestic churches that you may protect and guide them, uh, imbue them with with all the grace and blessings you have. Uh, help them to persevere through through a society that often does not revere uh, marriage and family life. Uh, we pray also for the grace to receive um, even the tiniest bit of grace through sacramentals. May we be open to receive all the graces you have for us in and through the sacraments and then through these little sacramentals uh, that, that greet us along the way. And then lastly, we pray for, for all those who have died and uh, perhaps all those who are in, in their final days right now. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> we pray that they will continue to respond to the grace that you have in store for them, for them in these final moments. And we pray for, um, for all of us uh, who will one day die and stand before you, that you will prepare us for that moment of our death, that moment of, of standing before you. Please help us to respond to all the grace you have for us in the meantime. And may we uh, be with you for, for eternal life, for the rest of eternity, for your greater glory now and forever. Amen. All right, this brings us to the end of our first half of the episode. We'll take a brief break and then return on the second half to read paragraphs 1655 through 1690. Thanks for sticking with me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1655 through 1690. The Domestic Church. Christ chose to be born and grow up in the bosom of the holy family of Joseph and Mary. The church is nothing other than the family of God. From the beginning, the core of the church was often constituted by those who had become believers together with all their household. When they were converted, they desired that their whole household should also be saved. These families who became believers were islands of Christian life in an unbelieving world. In our own time, in a world often alien and even hostile to faith, believing families are of primary importance as centers of living, radiant faith. For this reason, the Second Vatican Council, using an ancient expression, calls the family the Ecclesia Domestica. It is in the bosom of the family that parents are by word and example the first heralds of the faith with regard to their children. They should encourage them in the vocation which is proper to each child, fostering with special care any religious vocation. It is here that the father of the family, the mother, children, and all members of the family exercise the priesthood of the baptized in a privileged way by the reception of the sacraments, prayer, and thanksgiving, the witness of a holy life, and self-denial and active charity. Thus, the home is the first school of Christian life and a school for human enrichment. Here one learns endurance and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous, even repeated forgiveness, and above all, divine worship and prayer and the offering of one's life. We must also remember the great number of single persons who, because of the particular circumstances in which they have to live, often not of their choosing, are especially close to Jesus' heart, and therefore deserve the special affection and active solicitude of the church, especially of pastors. Many remain without a human family, often due to conditions of poverty. Some live their situation in the spirit of the Beatitudes, serving God and neighbor in exemplary fashion. The doors of homes, the domestic churches, and of the great family, which is the church, must be open to all of them. No one is without a family in this world. The church is a home and family for everyone, especially those who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. In brief, St. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. The marriage covenant, by which a man and a woman form with each other an intimate communion of life and love, has been founded and endowed with its own special laws by the Creator. By its very nature, it is ordered to the good of the couple, as well as to the generation and education of children. Christ the Lord raised marriage between the baptized to the dignity of a sacrament. The sacrament of matrimony signifies the union of Christ and the Church. It gives spouses the grace to love each other with the love with which Christ has loved his Church. The grace of the sacrament thus perfects the human love of the spouses, strengthens their indissoluble unity, and sanctifies them on the way to eternal life. 
Marriage is based on the consent of the contracting parties, that is, on their will to give themselves, each to the other, mutually and definitively, in order to live a covenant of faithful and fruitful love. Since marriage establishes the couple in a public space of life in the church, it is fitting that its celebration be public, in the framework of a liturgical celebration, before the priest or a witness authorized by the church, the witnesses, and the assembly of the faithful. Unity, indissolubility, and openness to fertility are essential to marriage. Polygamy is incompatible with the unity of marriage. Divorce separates what God has joined together. The refusal of fertility turns married life away from its supreme gift, the child. The remarriage of persons divorced from a living, lawful spouse contravenes the plan and law of God as taught by Christ. They are not separated from the church, but they cannot receive Eucharistic communion. They will lead Christian lives, especially by educating their children in the faith. The Christian home is the place where children receive the first proclamation of the faith. For this reason, the family home is rightly called the domestic church, a community of grace and prayer, a school of human virtues and of Christian charity. Chapter 4, Other Liturgical Celebrations. Article 1, Sacramentals. Holy Mother Church has, moreover, instituted sacramentals. These are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the sacraments. They signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the Church. By them, men are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments, and various occasions in life are rendered holy. The Characteristics of Sacramentals Sacramentals are instituted for the sanctification of certain ministries of the Church, certain states of life, a great variety of circumstances in Christian life, and the use of many things helpful to man. <clears throat> In accordance with bishops' pastoral decisions, they can also respond to the needs, culture, and special history of the Christian people of a particular region or time. They always include a prayer, often accompanied by a specific sign, such as the laying on of hands, the sign of the cross, or the sprinkling of holy water, which recalls baptism. Sacramentals derive from the baptismal priesthood. Every baptized person is called to be a blessing and to bless. Hence, lay people may preside at certain blessings. The more a blessing concerns ecclesial and sacramental life, the more is its administration reserved to the ordained ministry, bishops, priests, or deacons. Sacramentals do not confer the grace of the Holy Spirit in the way that the sacraments do, but by the Church's prayer, they prepare us to receive grace and dispose us to cooperate with it. For well-disposed members of the faithful, the liturgy of the sacraments and sacramentals sanctifies almost every event of their lives with the divine grace which flows from the paschal mystery of the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. From this source, all sacraments and sacramentals draw their power. There is scarcely any proper use of material things which cannot be thus directed toward the sanctification of men and the praise of God. Various Forms of Sacramentals among sacramentals, blessings of persons, meals, objects, and places come first. Every blessing praises God and prays for his gifts. In Christ, Christians are blessed by God the Father with every spiritual blessing. This is why the church imparts blessings by invoking the name of Jesus, usually while making the holy sign of the cross of Christ. Certain blessings have a lasting importance because they consecrate persons to God or reserve objects and places for liturgical use. Among those blessings, which are intended for persons, not to be confused with sacramental ordination, are the blessing of the abbot or abbess of a monastery, the consecration of virgins and widows, the rite of religious profession, and the blessing of certain ministries of the church, readers, acolytes, catechists, etc. The dedication or blessing of a church or an altar, 
the blessing of holy oils, vessels, investments, bells, etc., can be mentioned as examples of blessings that concern objects. When the church asks publicly and authoritatively, in the name of Jesus Christ, that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion, it is called exorcism. Jesus performed exorcisms, and from him the church has received the power and office of exorcising. In a simple form, exorcism is performed at the celebration of baptism. The solemn exorcism, called a major exorcism, can be for- performed only by a priest and with the permission of the bishop. The priest must proceed with prudence, strictly observing the rules established by the church. Exorcism is directed at the expulsion of demons or to the liberation from demonic possession through the spiritual authority which Jesus entrusted to his church. Illness, especially psychological illness, is a very different matter. Treating this is the concern of medical science. Therefore, before an exorcism is performed, it is important to ascertain that one is dealing with the presence of the evil one and not an illness. Popular piety. Besides sacramental liturgy and sacramentals, catechesis must take into account the forms of piety piety and popular devotions among the faithful. The religious sense of the Christian people has always found expression in various forms of piety surrounding the church's sacramental life, such as the veneration of relics, visits to sanctuaries, pilgrimages, processions, the stations of the cross, religious dances, the rosary, medals, etc., These expressions of piety extend the liturgical life of the church, but do not replace it. They should be so drawn up that they harmonize with the liturgical seasons, accord with the sacred liturgy, are in some way derived from it, and lead the people to it, since in fact the liturgy by its very nature is far superior to any of them. Pastoral discernment is needed to sustain and support popular piety, and if necessary, to purify and correct the religious sense, which underlies these devotions so that the faithful may advance in knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Their exercise is subject to the care and judgment of the bishops and to the general norms of the church. At its core, the piety of the people is a storehouse of values that offers answers of Christian wisdom to the great questions of life. The Catholic wisdom of the people is capable of fashioning a vital synthesis. It creatively combines the divine and the human, Christ and Mary, spirit and body, communion and institution, person and community, faith and homeland, intelligence and emotion. This wisdom is a Christian humanism that radically affirms the dignity of every person as a child of God, establishes a basic fraternity, teaches people to encounter nature and understand work, provides reasons for joy and humor even in the midst of a very hard life. For the people, this wisdom is also a principle of discernment and an an evangelical instinct through which they spontaneously sense when the gospel is served in the church and when it is emptied of its content and stifled by other interests. In brief, sacramentals are sacred signs instituted by the church, They prepare men to receive the fruit of the sacraments and sanctify different circumstances of life. Among the sacramentals, blessings occupy an important place. They include both praise of God for his works and gifts and the church's intercession for men, that they may be able to use God's gifts according to the spirit of the gospel. In addition to the liturgy, Christian life is nourished by various forms of popular piety rooted in in the different cultures. While carefully clarifying them in the light of faith, the church fosters the forms of popular piety that express an evangelical instinct and a human wisdom and that enrich Christian life. Article 2, Christian Funerals. 
All the sacraments, and principally those of Christian initiation, have as their goal the last Passover of the child of God, which through death leads him into the life of the kingdom. Then what he confessed in faith and hope will be fulfilled. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The Christian's Last Passover The Christian meaning of death is revealed in the light of the paschal mystery of the death and resurrection of Christ, in whom resides our only hope. The Christian who dies in Christ Jesus is away from the body and at home with the Lord. For the Christian, the day of death inaugurates, at the end of his sacramental life, the fulfillment of his new birth begun at baptism. The definitive conformity to the image of the Son, conferred by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and participation in the feast of the kingdom, which was anticipated in the Eucharist, even if final purifications are still necessary for him in order to be clothed with the nuptial garment. The church who, as mother, has borne the Christian sacramentally in her womb during his earthly pilgrimage accompanies him at his journey's end in order to surrender him into the Father's hands. She offers to the Father in Christ the child of his grace, and she commits to the earth in hope the seed of the body that will rise in glory. This offering is fully celebrated in the Eucharistic sacrifice. The blessings before and after Mass are sacramentals. The Celebration of Funerals The Christian funeral is a liturgical celebration of the Church. The ministry of the Church in this instance aims at expressing efficacious communion with the deceased, at the participation and that communion of the community gathered for the funeral, and at the proclamation of eternal life to the community. The different funeral rites express the paschal character of Christian death and are in keeping with the situations and traditions of each region, even as to the color of the liturgical vestments worn. The Order of Christian Funerals of the Roman Liturgy gives three types of funeral celebrations corresponding to the three places in which they are conducted, the home, the church, and the cemetery, and according to the importance attached to them by the family, local customs, the culture, and popular piety. This order of celebration is common to all the liturgical traditions and comprises four principal elements. The greeting of the community. A greeting of faith begins the celebration. Relatives and friends of the deceased are welcomed with a word of consolation in the New Testament sense of the Holy Spirit's power in hope. The community assembling in prayer also awaits the words of eternal life. The death of a member of the community, or the anniversary of a death, or the seventh or thirtieth day after death, is an event that should lead beyond the perspectives of this world and should draw the faithful into the true perspective of faith in the risen Christ. The Liturgy of the Word during funerals demands very careful preparation because the assembly present for the funeral may include some faithful who rarely attend the liturgy and friends of the deceased who are not Christians. The homily in particular must avoid the literary genre of funeral eulogy and illumine the mystery of Christian death in the light of the risen Christ. The Eucharistic Sacrifice <clears throat> When the celebration takes place in church, the Eucharist is the heart of the paschal mystery of Christian death. In the Eucharist, the Church expresses her efficacious communion with the departed, offering to the Father and the Holy Spirit the sacrifice of the death and resurrection of Christ. She asks to purify his child of his sins and their consequences, and to admit him to the paschal fullness of the table of the kingdom. It is by the Eucharist thus celebrated that the community of the faithful, especially the family of the deceased, learn to live in communion with the one who has fallen asleep in the Lord, by communicating in the body of Christ, of which he is a living member, and then by praying for him and with him. A farewell to the, dece the deceased is his final commendation to God by the church. It is the last farewell by which the Christian community greets one of its members before his body is brought to its tomb. 
The Byzantine tradition expresses this by the kiss of farewell to the deceased. By this final greeting, we sing for his departure from this life and separation from us, but also because there is a communion and a reunion. For even dead, we are not at all separated from one another, because we all run the same course, and we will find one another again in the same place. We shall never be separated, for we live for Christ, and now we are united with Christ as we go toward him. We shall all be together in Christ. That was St. Simeon of Thessalonica. Well, this brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode, and the end of part two of the Catechism. So even though there are four parts and we're done part two, we're more than halfway done the Catechism as um, parts one and two are longer than parts three and four combined. So thanks for continuing this journey with me. Um, Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.